Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And today I want to talk to you about not rushing uh, in decision-making and lessons from the life of Abraham. So the last two weeks, I've talked about my biggest regrets, one of which was not rushing or being impatient in making key decisions. And I realized as I went through the 10 that this kept coming up over and over again. It was a an underlying theme of three or four of them. Uh, and that there are a few more powerful examples than the life of Abraham, who's called the father of us all, of a person who had to learn to wait uh, and not rush. So in this podcast, I'm going to actually invite you to listen to a message <clears throat> that I give on the famous text of Genesis 16, verses 1 to 4, where Abraham and his wife Sarah do rush God's plan and decide to move God's plan along more quickly and have a child through their servant Hagar. Very famous story and all the consequences that are unleashed in that. This is the core of the, of the Christian life, the, the human heart, our, our heart's battle between do I trust and wait and love God or do I move into striving and grasping? It's the very essence of the original rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it's a consistent theme all through Genesis to Revelation. But in Abraham, we see it so powerfully and vividly. When, he, when we see the kind of trouble he gets in when he grasps for his own happiness and forces his way into things. So we're here today because of his faithfulness. He learned uh, he's called our father Abraham in, Genesis, in uh, Romans chapter 4. But he does something that's acceptable in his culture, at least the standards of his day, by resolving his problem of infertility. Uh, actually, he's a great planner, but he runs ahead of God. He doesn't wait. He's going to have to wait 13 more years before God's promise of Isaac comes. Uh, and his impatience, actually, just like for many of us, it's rewarded on the short term, but not on the long term. And so in this message, I talk about, again, some of the Ishmael's I've birthed out of impatience and not wanting to wait on God on God's timing. Uh, but Abraham's life, just like our lives, is meant to be a sign of the of God's rule, a wonder. We're, we're called to be a countercultural presence as leaders and uh, be a blessing and a pointer, obviously, to the living and true God. So I talk about in the message the Ishmael test, and I give four questions. Uh, what, what's a good uh, way as we're making large decisions to be able to discern, am I potentially birthing an Ishmael here? And uh, so I talk about these four questions, everything from am I afraid to ask God what really his will is in this situation to am I uncomfortable exploring my hidden motivations or am I avoiding getting counsel from mature other people that I feel or unconsciously fear they would disagree with me or am I just too busy and distracted to actually listen you know, to God's voice. And uh, a real mark of maturity is, as is mentioned in the sermon, to live with the unknown and not make decisions too early and quickly. So I, and I love Psalm 130. It's a great summary uh, of, I think, our call as leaders. We're called to lead, but we're called at the same time to be people who wait on the Lord. So it's a rare combination to find leaders who are able to do both. But I love when David writes, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I put my hope. Great prayer. So the state you're in, remember, is the state that you will give to others. And we want to be uh, men and women who actually wait on the Lord. So again, check out the sermon. as you can, It's going to come now. And, but after you listen, let me encourage you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org and learn more about becoming this kind of a person who waits on the Lord and leads. And learn more about emotionally healthy discipleship and our long-term vision to transform church culture by God transforming you uh, as a leader and disciple. If you've not taken that personal assessment that's found on the front page of our website, Am I an Emotional Infant, uh, Adolescent, Child, or Adult? It takes about 20 minutes. Take it. It's, it's worth taking periodically to check in on your journey of growing into maturity. So, all right, enjoy this message on Abraham at one of the pivotal moments of his life from Genesis 16. Enjoy. Genesis chapter 16. I'm going to read the first four verses. And for those of you who are new here, we're in the middle of a series on the life of Abraham. And we've talked about leave. We've talked about remain. Last week was on sleep. And today is on wait. And they all kind of hold together. I'm in chapter 16 of Genesis, verses 1 to 4. And actually, I'm going to jump to verses 15 and 16 after that. Thus says the Lord, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. 
but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Then verse 15. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. All right, let's pray together. And so, Father, I pray as we look at this tremendous text that you would speak to every one of us about who you are, who we are, what it means to live life and journey with you in faith uh, here in this day. Guide us and lead us by your spirit in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Please be seated. Now, listen, life is about a lot of decisions, small decisions and big decisions. Should I marry? Should I remarry? Should I stay in this relationship? Should I get out of this relationship? Should I move? Where should I move? When should I move? Should I initiate a change in my job or career? Should I go back to college or back to school at all? What about high school? What high school should I go to? What college should I go to? What grad school should I go to? Should I start my own business? If so, what business? You know, do I make this difficult parenting move with my child? Do I do it now? Do I do it later? So the question is, what does it mean to, to trust God, to, to believe God, to walk with God as we make decisions, especially big ones? And it's very easy to compartmentalize our lives. So kind of, we've got our life with God, and we come to church, and we read the Bible, but then we've got these big, difficult decisions to make. And it's very easy to have God out of the picture, or we're getting stressed out and not even include him in the process. And so we learn from Abraham, what does it mean to walk by faith? He's called the father of us all. And uh, he learned some very hard lessons about what it means to to walk in faith, and, and uh, that's what this series is all about. So it began, if some of you remember, with leaving. He, he is living in present-day Iraq uh, in a place called Ur. He travels over a 1,000 miles. He's called by God to leave a culture where everybody's building Babel, Genesis 11, watching out for their own name and security in life. But God speaks to Abraham and says, you, I'm calling you to, to, to leave you know, and follow me. And so he leaves his family, he leaves his country, he leaves his land, he leaves his security. He leaves Ur, the country of Ur, which is a very prosperous civilization, uh, very wealthy, and he travels through a desert to a land called Canaan, present-day uh, Israel, which at that time was, uh, was very poor, but he has to break and abandon all of his natural roots. And so understand, when he leaves, he's 75 years old, and uh, he's married to Sarah, who's 65. And God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with children. Uh, so many children, they'll be like the stars of the sky. I mean, you won't be able to count them. There'll be so many. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And everybody who blesses you is going to be blessed. Tremendous promise. But he gets there. He makes this long trip. And he has left, just like we are called to leave. And then a famine breaks out. And we talked about how he's called to remain. But now 11 years have passed, or 10 years have passed. And he's waited, and he's 86 years old. And not only does he not have many, many children, he doesn't even have one child. And he's living in a tent. The land is not his. And uh, all the blessings that he was promised, all the children, all these nations that would come out of his womb, right now there's nothing. So just imagine waiting 11 years. Now, he probably got married, I would say at that time, he probably got married at 16 years old, 15, 16. That means he's 86. He's been waiting 70 years for a child. That's a long time. And now he's in this foreign land following God. And I want you to feel the anguish of this text. Because if you don't get the anguish, you can't get it, what this passage is saying. Because, I mean, imagine what it must have been like to go to the supermarket or talk to his neighbors. Uh, he's a senior citizen at this point. I understand he's 86. Now... In those days, in the ancient Near East, if you didn't have a child, childlessness was, was considered 
you know, it was like you were cursed. There was no greater sorrow for a, a family because there was no financial future for you, and it was like something was wrong with you. And so you can imagine, he's at the neighborhood store. He's the one who's supposed to be following God, and they're saying to him, you're supposed to be blessed. 86, year old, 86 years old, your circumstances say that you're cursed. You must be being punished by God. And that your life doesn't look like a life blessed. And God's promises to you sure are taking a long time. You ever feel like that? What is the problem with you? Do you ever say this? I hear this all the time from people. Pete, do you know how old I am? Time is ticking. Life is passing me by. The clock is running. So many other people my age have accomplished so much. And look at me. And panic sets in. And so last week, uh, Drew, we spoke on, Drew spoke on the passage at the end of chapter 15 about God says to Abraham, listen, I want to tell you something. My word to you will never fail. My promises to you will come to pass. You can trust me. And God does this covenant ceremony. And if you remember, he takes, the, he takes these bunch of animals, he splits them in two. It was an ancient covenant ceremony. And, uh, and, and, and then the way it worked was, uh, if you were making a contract with someone or a covenant, you walk through it and you basically said, if I break the terms of this covenant, I will kill myself or you can kill me. God says, Abraham, you can be so sure about my promises to you, regardless of what people say, regardless of circumstances, you can bank on it. If my word and promise to you does not come through, I will, God walks through these cut animals, these animals cut in two and says, I will kill myself. It's impossible. God can't kill himself. That's right. God, the point is God's saying it's impossible that my word and my promise to you will not come true. That's how much you can bank on it. So do not just look at your circumstances, what you can figure out, and don't worry about what other people say and think. You trust me and follow me. But now he has to wait. Now understand, he's 86. He's no young chicken. All right? And there's 13 more years to go before he has that child promised by God. He'll be 99 when it comes. That means he will have waited. Do the math, you know? Wow. A long time. Most of us can wait about 15 minutes, you know? I mean, we're done. 99. So, here it is. Now we're in our passage. The anguish, year after year, waiting for God's promise. And so his wife speaks up. Sometimes we get counsel from people, right, who love us, and says, she says, I have any, let's, we don't have any children. The Lord has kept me from having children, right? It's God's fault we're in this mess. And so he says, go sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, whom they picked up, it says, in Egypt. Remember he went to Egypt? He wasn't supposed to go to Egypt, remember? Well, when you go, when you get, when you go places you're not supposed to be, you pick up some baggage along the way. Well, he picked up Hagar, his new slave, you know? So he, she's now in the house, very convenient. And, and, uh, and so she, Sarah sets a goal. The goal is to have children. God said have children. We're just going to move it along more quickly here. Help it happen. You know, and, and so she has a plan. She sets some goals. She does a strategic planning session. And she has Abraham sleep with Hagar, and she gets pregnant. Really, it's like, if she wrote a business plan, you know, for an MBA program, she would have got an A, you know. Uh, and she does what's, a, at that culture, in that time, was very reasonable. I mean, it was, it was legal. It was acceptable. If a wife couldn't get pregnant, that it was a proper legal practice, you would go to your slave and have a child through that slave, and it was fine. It was morally fine. It was culturally fine. It was legally fine. And it was expedient. It worked. So she does it. The problem is, it's fine for everybody else in the culture, but it's not fine for Abraham and Sarah. There are things that are fine for other people around you, but not for you, as a follower of Christ. But what happens here, they just go along with everybody else in the culture. Bam, they have a child through Hagar. And uh, what's interesting is, is they, they, they can't see God showing up. I mean, it's like the future's closed. And, and so they're, they're following their call for God, but only halfway. In other words, they don't go back to Ur. They don't travel a thousand miles back home. They stay on, I'm with God, but now it's kind of like, I'll do half of it. You know, I'll just... You know, half a call. I'll just take things in my own hands now because the Lord's not doing much. 
unless I do something, it ain't going to happen. And in fact, when the baby's born, I can imagine them saying, see, it's true. God helps those who help themselves. You see, it's true. And, 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 but is that sense where, and I'm sure you can relate to it that unless I do something, nothing's going to happen here. I'm waiting and it ain't happening. And, and, and the stress of that. And, and, and so with skill, with determination, with some planning, Ishmael is made. Ishmael is born. And there he comes. And, and what's interesting is, is that visibly, at least in the beginning, if you take the initiative from God, you take things in your own hands, things will get better in the short term. I mean, it's better. I mean, they have a baby. They have the baby shower. I mean, it's... They can tell the neighbors, I got a child. And in fact, if you read the whole story, at this point, till Abraham's 99, he really kind of forgets about the promised child. He's happy with Ishmael. This is good enough. Hey, you know what? It's not a disaster. I got something. And so he, all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his love is poured into Ishmael. He's not even thinking about Isaac, the one God really has for him. And uh, as for many of us, we've, we've made decisions. And it wasn't necessarily God's decision, but we did it. We're like, this is good enough. I'll stay right here. But the thing is, God doesn't forget. And God keeps coming back to Abraham and said, no, 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 no. I have something more for you. You're not going to stop at Ishmael. You may have birthed an Ishmael, but I've got an Isaac for you. And the same way with you, you may say, you know what? I got my bases covered. I'm fine here. And God said, you may be fine, but I'm not. Because I called you by name and I've got something for your life. And I'm taking you somewhere. And so I'm going to bring you into a process of waiting. Again, whether you like it or not, and as we does here with these two. And so Abraham runs ahead of God and because he doesn't want to wait another 13 years. He is what we call impatient. And uh, the consequences, as some of you know the story, it, it's a big mess. I mean, almost immediately after the baby is born, even before the baby is born, Hagar is having tension with Sarah in the house, and it's a big mess. And as we know, the consequences of that tension of Isaac and Ishmael, those two children, goes to this day with the Arab-Israeli uh, conflict. Uh, so I, I'm just, this whole thing of birthing an Ishmael, so I want you to get, get this picture of when we run ahead of God, when we're impatient, when we don't want to wait on God, what happens is we then take over, and we, through our plans and ideas, apart from God, start birthing Ishmael's. Now, I stand before you as a man who has birthed many an Ishmael out of impatience, impatience with God and his timing. And uh, I can think of many, many, many projects uh, at New Life Fellowship and initiatives and programs, especially in our early years, that I just launched out of anxiety, comparing to other churches, feeling inadequate, and just say, let's just do it. I remember even when we started our Community Development Corporation, I mean, we purposely started the church here in this part of Queens out of a commitment to do community development, to really impact the community in a substantial way for Christ, to serve the poor and marginalized as well as be a healthy church. That was the whole goal. It would have been a lot easier to have a church out where there's lots of parking, you know? It's cheaper out there too. I mean, it's just... And I remember it was year two or three, and, and like... We were, it was, it's, so, it's very difficult to build a medical you know, health center or you know, beats and blessings. Or, you know, it's, just, it's, it's hard. And I remember it was year two or three, and it was like, nothing's happening. But you can't see time when you're in distress. And I, just, I, I remember like it was yesterday, being in a meeting, and we were going to launch this program, which doesn't exist anymore, one of those Ishmaels that's gone. And I just, and I just remember saying, just, just do it. Do something. It'll work. It didn't, but it'll work, you know. And I remember the former CEO of JCPenney used to help us at that time. And I remember him sitting there at the, at the table and just saying, Pete, calm down. Calm down. But it was total just anxiety. And, uh, you know, even reconciliation, you know, bridging racial, cultural, economic barriers, gender barriers. I mean, trying to make that thing happen quickly. Whew. Many an Ishmael birthed out of that one and a mess. I think of all the overworking and and drivenness and fear. I remember even traveling and speaking a bit to other churches in the early days. Our church was a mess. And I, I got invited to speak a couple of times, you know, and outside I realized this is a total Ishmael. I realized it. I was totally out of my league and just, what a, what a mess. I remember trying to manipulate people's lives being transformed. You can do it, you know. I mean, you're kind of like a little legalism, a little, little, you know, and you can, you're going to wait on God if it kills you. 
You know, it may not be from your inside out, but you're going to do it. And trying to make people's lives change quick, which never happens. It's an Ishmael. But I got one big one, and I'm going to use that as my illustration as I'm going to ask you to take, an, take the Ishmael test in just a few minutes. I'm going to use my, my big illustration. It's so prominent. I really you know, had a chance to really explore it. Uh, and it's when we started the Spanish congregation at New Life Fellowship Church. And, uh, uh, and which still exists, Iglesia Nueva Vida, it's called. And I'll talk about it in just a moment. But that was my, one of my largest Ishmaels, which I'll, which I'll talk about. But like Abraham, we don't like mystery. And we sure don't like mess. Do you like mess? I hate mess. I want to fix it. Control it. Manage it. And I like, like you, I prefer a fast food Christianity with shortcuts and hurry. It works well, at least short term. You know, John of the Cross in the 1500s wrote that great book, Dark Night of the Soul. He used to talk about a lot about the spiritual sweet tooth of Christians. That is that you, that you only like a diet of what tastes good. And if it doesn't taste good, you don't want to eat it. And so things like dryness and doubts and struggle and the cross and a cup of suffering, you don't want to eat that. But you're, all you want is good feelings in your Christianity. And so it's a spiritual sweet tooth, he called it. He goes, until that is purged out of you, you will never grow up, was his basic thesis. And I realized, I, 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 my goodness, I, quick is my spiritual sweet tooth. And, but so as I think about half my life, has, I birthed so many Ishmaels. And I'm sure you're sitting here saying, I know in my rushing, my impatience, my, my anxiety, I birthed many an Ishmael too. Some of you are nudging your spouse right now. You know, you're an Ishmael, you know, you're out of here. You know? <laughs> but here's the good news, the great news. God uses even those Ishmaels for his glory and goodness in tremendous ways in our lives and other people's lives. There is good that comes out of it. And so Ishmael gets blessed, actually. You read the rest of the story, and out of that comes the whole Arab nations. That's tremendous blessing gets from God. Uh, it's just a painful, longer route and, and very challenging. I mean, our Spanish congregation today in, in Woodside, even though it was birthed as an Ishmael from, from myself, uh, it was God's will we do it. I just did it way ahead of time, and I did it my way. But uh, it's now one of the largest, if not the largest, Spanish congregation in, in New York City. And uh, they have planted 25 other churches. Uh, in Latin America and here in the United States, and they look at us as their grandfather. I mean, there's, there's, there's thousands of people that consider them, they came to Christ, they consider us that we all did it. They don't know it was a big mess on our part, you know, an Ishmael. So the thing is, relax. God will, you know, not that we want to birth Ishmaels, but God is bigger than that. So, so what happens is, is our impatience, and when we birth Ishmaels out of impatience, what's sad is that the people around us generally reward us when we do our friends, our family, the people who love us. Even church culture rewards us. And uh, so, so I get frustrated. So for example, like, let's say I'm frustrated with Rich. A hundred Riches here. I'm trying to bring change here. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, I can't take it anymore. And so I just say, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And I, I get an offer to go to a larger ministry, a larger church somewhere else, you know. And, and so I take it. I say, I'm, I'm out of here. My motive is I'm just frustrated. And so I actually go and take this larger ministry, and maybe I'll get written up in a magazine as a result. But the whole thing is an Ishmael, because I couldn't bear waiting and working with rich, okay? And a hundred riches like him. And so I just birthed an Ishmael out of frustration and anxiety, and it can't wait anymore. And sadly, it gets rewarded. I mean, I, I, mean, I believe in goal setting. I believe in making plans and to-do lists. I, I do believe there's a place for that. But there is a place where my goal setting and strategic plans cross a line when they're all about eliminating mystery, eliminating mess, eliminating the fact that I'm not in control. And because impatience really is a refusal to endure, to, to, to wait so that the true might come. See, this impatience, this Ishmael thing, friends, really is about, I don't want to deal with myself. I don't want to deal with God. I don't want to grow up. I'd rather just do it now. So listen, Waiting is hard. Can I hear an amen for that? It's awful, actually. And uh, it's incomplete, and it's very, very strange, especially when you begin it. But it is the heart of the Christian life. This message, friends, drives at the core of all Christianity. Am I going to love, trust, and wait on God? Or am I going to grasp and strive? 
It is the two ways of living the Christian life. Abraham here grasps, and he gets himself into a big mess. So what I want to do is I want to give you the, the Ishmael test. Because the reason this Ishmael test is so important is because without it, you, you can't see straight when, when the pressure's on. It's like it's right in your face, and there's no sense of time. And the purpose of the Ishmael test is to slow you down to wait. Now, what I did was, understand, I had this vision and sense from God to learn Spanish before we started New Life Fellowship Church. So my wife and I moved to Central America for a year. Could you imagine? For a year. Then moved back to Queens here, spent another year kind of perfecting our Spanish, plant New Life Fellowship in English. And now two years passed, and there's, no, and there's no New Life Spanish because there's no New Life English. It's just kind of getting started. But I'm feeling very anxious because we've invested a large portion of our lives to go to Central America. My family thought I was crazy. When are you going to get a real job? You know, the English congregation is struggling. My Spanish, I'm losing it because now two years have passed. And I'm saying, is this ever going to happen? And so I'm just getting very, so I just say, I don't know what's happening. But I remember not, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I said, we're going to start it. There was no leadership but me. And, but it was really, it was, I, I couldn't see any sense of time. It was just like, because when you get anxious about a decision and something in your life, you, you have, it can feel like 100 years. And it's only been like, say, two days, you know, or two years or whatever. And that's why these questions of the Ishmael test are so critical. So I've got four questions. You might want to write them down somewhere. And, uh, and these are to be, this test is to be taken before any large decision that you make. Okay, so whether it's relationships, money, job. All right, the first question is very simple. It's, am I afraid to ask God what his will is in this situation? Am I afraid to ask God? You don't want to ask him because you're afraid of what he might say. He might say, no. He might say, wait. He might say, no, it's supposed to be like this. And really, you'd prefer not to hear it. And so what you do is you actually can live your Christian life. I know that I've done it myself. You actually can live your Christian life and just avoid the topic altogether with him. So even in your prayer times, you're talking to God time, your worship, you can kind of do the whole thing, but you've got this compartment and you actually don't ask God, what do you think? I mean, I can't tell you how often we've been with, uh, you know, people making decisions and say, well, have you really prayed about that? But you realize they say, yeah, yeah, I prayed about it, but you know, they haven't, you know, I mean, I did the same thing. Spanish church plan, should it happen? Yeah, 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 nah, yeah, 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 it's God's will. And so really, I like the idea of, a, of a, 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 a scale of zero to 10, you know. Have you really asked God about his will in the situation? And it, it, maybe on a scale of zero to 10, if zero is you haven't asked at all, one is you asked a little bit, but not too much. The 10 is like, I'm really asking you, Lord, you know, and you're continually like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, I know it's not my will to wait, I know it's not my will to let this thing go, but not my will, but your be done. That, that would be a 10. Really in anguish saying, God, I know my will is this, being that clear about it, but I recognize my will may not be the same as your will. So Lord, your will be done. That's a heavy prayer to pray, whatever it might be. Whoa, and I'm gonna trust you with whatever comes. Now, I, I've done this, and maybe you've done it too. Have you ever made a bargain with God? You say, listen, God, here's what we'll do. I don't know if you want to give me this or not, but it seems like you're not. So I'm going to make this thing happen in exchange. In ex I'll do this, I'll do this, and I'll do this. And so what you do is you make it happen, and then you tell them thanks. And then you wait for all this other good stuff to happen, or you start doing this over here, but the whole thing's all, all a con game. Because really, you've really not asked about his will at all. See, we're very slippery. We are very sneaky in our Christianity. And we can get by. Because our image of God is distorted. See, really, the issue here is, can I bank on God that he's good? That he loves me and he's going to take care of me? It's really very simple. And so Abraham had his promises. His promises were that he'd have children. God would bless him. He'd have a land. He'd have a country. You know, God said, I promise you, I'll kill myself before this, don't come, this doesn't come true for you. So in the same way, it's important that you ask yourself, what's your image of God? I mean, like, many, many of us, we see God as like a, you know, he's a celestial cop. He's a highway patrol person. He's always mad, frustrated, angry. He sees you, you know, he's slapping you down. And so when you have that kind of image of God, 
you know, I don't trust him. But it's not the God who's revealed in Christ. And so, for example, I have to go back when I'm in my anguish and remember, oh, wait a second. God is my father in heaven. That's, this verse is from the parable of the prodigal son. Oh, yes, this is how the father feels about me. He runs to me despite my sin and my impatience and my mess up. He throws his arm around me and he kisses me. That Christ has died for me and risen for me and lived a perfect life for me. And, and that's how the father feels towards me. He's kissing me. Like, yes, what am I afraid of? This is the God of the universe. Or, or you know, I go to promises like, you know, Luke 12, you know, 29 to 31, where it says, do not set your heart, Jesus says, on what you will eat or drink. Pete, relax. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows that you need them. And I've got to remind myself, yes, yes, that's my father. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. All right, all right. And I say, okay, Lord, what's your will? And it helps me just bank on him again. But I've got to remember those promises. You know what? I just start taking care of things myself because my image of him is he's holding back from me. He's going to rip me off if I trust him. He's going to suck me dry, you know, and I get afraid, you know, or, or I love this, you know, Luke 11, 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm going to take care of you. You know, Philippians 1, 6, I feel like sometimes I can't make it. People say to me, Pete, someone told me this week, Pete, I can't do it. I can't wait on God. I just don't have it. You know, I, I can't do it. And I said, you know what? God's promise is, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what? God says, I'll give you one day at a time. I began something in you. I'm going to finish it. Trust me. You know, I, I, I love Mark 10. If like, Lord, I, I've lost everything for you. And what's coming back to me? And Jesus says, I promise you, I tell you the truth. Mark 10, 29. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and the age to come eternal life. Do you believe that's true? Well, it is true because God says it's true. And he goes, you can bank on it. I'll kill myself if my word's not true for you. That's quite a promise. That's the covenant made through the blood of Christ for you. Now, Abraham is waiting. He's waiting. But understand some of you are saying, Pete, I'm waiting to, I'm waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or I'm waiting for this job, I'm waiting for this door to open, I'm, I'm waiting for the money to come, I'm waiting for the recession to end, I'm waiting for a house, I'm, whatever, I'm waiting for direction. And so we don't do anything. But we, we miss the point, Abraham's life is a sign. His life is like ours, it's a sign of the visible rule of God. His presence in Canaan, he's surrounded by pagans, but he is a counter-cultural presence in the world. He is a blessing. He's a pointer to God, the living God. This rule of life, you know that we, we talk about our rule of life as a church, our existence, as we wait on the Lord, which is our lives, we are a countercultural presence at work in our neighborhood as we're waiting. We point people to the living God who rules. So somebody say, it's not that you're not doing anything. You, you, you're, 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 you're waiting, but you're to serve Christ fully wherever you are. Every day you live for the fullest uh, as you wait on God with your talents, with your gifts, with your resources, as if you're going to be there the rest of your life and you wait on him. But we're not doing nothing during that time. We are a pointer. All right, number two. Here's a second question you got to ask yourself in the Ishmael test. The first is, am I afraid to do, ask God about his will? in this situation. The second is, am I uncomfortable exploring my hidden motivations? Uh, fear, other validation. And the same as scale of zero to ten. Zero being, I don't want to do it at all, or ten, I do, I do it well. I say that because an example of my Spanish Ishmael, of the church plant, I did not even want to go there about my fears. I, I, my, my spirituality did not go deep beneath my iceberg. But the truth was, I was very concerned what people would think. I mean, I can just hear my mother, you loser! I told you, what are you doing with your life, you know, and, and, um, and, you know, did you waste time? You know, and I'm saying, I said, I waste time. And so I, I had all these fears and it was just like, it, but I was unconscious of them. And so when you're unconscious and unaware of what's going on inside, you end up putting God's name on all kinds of crazy stuff. And so the question you got to ask yourself is, are you uncomfortable exploring your hidden motivations? 
how much you want people to think well of you. I, 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 now, when I was in college, I remember I had a roommate. His goal, one of my roommates, was that he'd get through college. He told me this freshman year. He would get through college and never read a book. <laughs> Could you imagine having a college roommate like that? So I'm thinking to myself, I got to get out of this school. I got to get out of here. And I, I was attending what was considered at the time the number one party school in New Jersey. And I'm like, you know, I got to go to a school that's got a name. You know, hey, you know, a name. Where'd you go to school? Oh, party school. Glassboro State. You know, it was like, yeah, my roommate never read a book, you know, and he graduated. <laughs> Fortunately, not with honors. But the temptation to transfer just to avoid shame. Do you understand the whole motivation? Just being to avoid one. People would ask me the rest of my life, where'd you go to college? Thought I could say a good school. But the whole thing being driven by the wrong motivation. Had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with what other people would think or say about me. Heavy, isn't it? But I could be unconscious about it and paste God all on it because it's my desire. It's my passion to go to that school. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. When I'm moving quickly, when I'm rushing, I know now that I am bypassing something. Pain, loss. I, I want to rush so I don't feel it. And so I start saying stupid things. I start doing stupid things. You know, I, and I, I recognize I don't trust people easily. You know, my kids, for my birthday last year, bought me a GPS. You know, thing for the car? I don't trust it. This... This voice speaks out of this box. I don't know you. Do you really know that they're doing construction on the BQE? I mean, do you really know? So I gave it back. I, 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 I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. I tried it. You see, I, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that I'll just... I'll, I'll tend to be negative just in case. Because then if it turns out good, it's, yeah, it turned out good, you know? But you see, here's the problem. That, you see, I've got to explore the fact this is, this is a reality of what I bring to the table in my Christian life. Because a Christian life is not about grasping. It's about receiving. The whole Christian life is God offers of, uh, us his life. It's a gift, his divine life. And, and, and we're sharing it, but we receive it. But we don't grasp it. And here's Abraham, he's grasping it. He's going to make this promise happen, and Sarah. And uh, we're called to be gentle, not force our way in, into life. And so, you know what it's like when you grasp things that are, are meant to be a gift, but you make it happen? And if the, what you think is going to be good kills you. It takes life right out of you. Because the, 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 the call of Christianity is the limits around you, not knowing what's going on, the mystery of it as you kind of wait on it. Friends, it, it confronts us with the depth of our rebellion. I want to be God. I want to run this show because I don't know what you're doing. And so I prefer to be God. God, you step back. I'll be God. Being your creature and your servant requires tremendous humility because we don't know. We can't see the end from the beginning. We don't know the timetable. We're waiting on the Lord, and it touches something so deep in our core. Everything in us is screaming. It's like, no, I can't. And we just, and we just birth an Ishmael. But at least I've got to be aware that I've got some deep, hidden motivations that doesn't trust, that's afraid, that's so concerned about what people think. They're looking at me like I'm an idiot following Christ. But at least if I'm aware of it, I'm, now it's, I've broken its power. All right, the third is this. The third question is, in this Ishmael test is, am I avoiding getting counsel from mature others in case they disagree with me? Am I avoiding getting counsel from mature others in case they disagree with me? So I, I can assure you that when I was planning that Spanish church plant, I was not asking questions from other people who'd done a similar thing. After having an English congregation and doing a Spanish at the same time, um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't want to talk to them. The people I talked to were people who I knew wanted me to do it. And uh, so, you know, uh, the Bible's very clear about counsel. You know, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. He who trusts in himself is a fool. Proverbs 28, uh, 26. You know what? 75% of... People who are in messes 
would not have been that mess if they had at least invited someone else in the process, even a half-mature person. But the Bible calls us to look for mature wisdom. And so, and so the question is, am I avoiding getting counsel from mature others in case they disagree with me? You see, you've got to choose the right people who love you enough to tell you the truth, even if you don't like it. You can always find someone to agree with you. That's easy. It's like, I love when people are deep in debt and they're getting counsel from someone else deep in debt. It doesn't make sense. I mean, why are you going to this person? Oh, they're only in debt for three years. I'm seven. I know. I, you know it's just, uh... Some of us have gotten bad counsel. I mean, if you read, read 1 Kings 12, the story of King Rehoboam, because he got the wrong counsel from his immature friends rather than finding someone who was ahead of him, his, el his elders in this case, you want to find someone who's ahead of where you are spiritually, marriage-wise, financially, and get counsel from them, not someone who's, you're, who's in the same mess you are. But King Rehoboam gets wrong counsel, and he splits the kingdom in two. Israel goes into the northern and southern kingdom, all because he just refused to listen to mature counsel. He didn't like their advice, and so he got rid of it. But the Bible is very, very clear. Our, and so you want, we want to find spiritual directors and, and godly friends and our small groups and account of, you know, spiritual authority. These are all critical. We get in counsel as I'm making decisions because I don't trust myself. I know that I can deceive even myself. So it's just another piece in the package that I add to it. It slows me down from birth in Ishmael. Boy, I can look at some of you. I can't tell you how often people come to me and they're not asking for advice. They're asking for the blessing. And you know their way off. But you know that what you say doesn't matter. That's why I say many folks, premarital counseling is a waste of time. Very difficult to do. Very challenging. People are in love and they're starry-eyed. It's like, you know, you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. you know, it's very hard, very challenging. And, um, but one of the ways I, 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 I slow the process down is I understand the scripture's got to think about counsel. And I'm willing to listen to it even though it's killing me to listen to it. All right, and finally this. Am I too busy and distracted to listen to the voice of God? Because generally what happens is when you're making a big decision, you're anxious. When you're anxious, you're active. And it's very hard to stop and listen to God. And so I know when I was even planning this Spanish church, I'm the pastor, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, but I'm, I'm distracted, my mind's so full because I got to get this church off the ground. And so I'm really not consulting God. Abraham in chapter 16 does not build an altar to God. He does not ask God's advice. He's just going. The voice of God is not on his radar screen. Let me ask you this. Is it on your radar screen as you're making decisions? Really on your screen? You know, John 14, 23, one of the great truths of, the, of Christianity is that when you receive Jesus Christ and you become a Christian, you may not be a Christian here today. I got great news for you. Your whole life can change. Christ died and rose for you. You receive Christ. The miracle is God comes to live inside of you the God of the universe inside you, a human being. He takes away your sins. You're born anew. You become a son or daughter. And God, the Holy Spirit's inside of you. And God is speaking inside to you and to direct you. And when you slow down and listen to him, we like, we like to call it, you begin to get consolations and desolations. Consolations are, are the name that we give to those feelings that when we sense the gift of God's presence, we're thinking about, should I go down this road? And a sense of peace descends. A sense of joy comes over you. A love and delight. It's life. And, and your soul is inflamed with love for God. That's called a consolation. And your soul lights up. And, that, and even your body feels it. And very often, that consolation is a good indication, this is God. Often. Not always, but often. But then there's desolation. That, that's, the, that's when you're inside. As you're, you're asking God, what should I do? And then these feelings come over you is, this is, this, is, this is death. This is turmoil. This is, uh, my, my, I feel like I'm, I'm moving away from God. And even though everybody else is doing it, you realize, for me, I'm not supposed to do this. And something's dying on the inside, and you're all churned up, and even your body starts to feel it sometimes. You just, your, your energy's sapped, and you're feeling depressed. And, and, and so part of this process, I get quiet before God, and I'm listening to his voice as he's coming from inside of me, the great revolution of Christianity is, is Pentecost, God inside of us. He's actually speaking to you. If we'll pause enough to listen. So, so, so here, here, here's a little summary. Here's a mark of maturity. It's the ability to live with the unknown and not to make decisions too early. 
It's a mark of maturity. Most of us, we're just impulsive. We just hate waiting. And so we say, hey, better this decision than no decision at all. And so what happens is before the harvest is ready, we start plucking. Should I go to the right or should I go to the left? And I feel like I got to make a decision quick. Friends, the decision is not to go to the right or left. The decision is first who you are in that decision. Can you be present before you birth an Ishmael and walk through this and pause before God and realize when it is you're not ready to make a decision yet, even though everybody's screaming at you to make one and even your own body is screaming. And what happens is Abraham just gives in. I love Proverbs 14.8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. It's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor be hasty and, and miss the way. So listen, if you have to make a decision today, and I'm sure we all have to make some decisions today, right? Hear the word of the Lord. Wait, slow down. Not that we don't make decisions. Slow down and wait. Because if you'll do this process, the fog will lift. And all of a sudden, it'll be clear. But you've got to be willing to wait. And Abraham teaches us the Christian life is waiting. It's waiting and trusting. So let's do this as we close. Because this is the core of the whole Christian life. Do I do this? Do I, do I love, trust, and wait on God? Or am I living my life striving, manipulating, and I like the word grasping at a fear that God's not going to come through for me? And so let's do this. This, 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 is the, this is the battlefield, friends, of the whole Christian life. And it says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was still living by faith when he died. Wow. Because they had not received the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. You will die waiting on the Lord. I will die waiting on the Lord. It is in your DNA. You were created to wait on the Lord. I want you to hear this. You may say, I can't do it, Pete. My body's screaming. I'm not a waiter. No, no. That's your disordered, fallen desires. Jesus came and died and rose again to reorder your heart, to set you right up. So, because you were made to wait. That is who you really are, a man, a woman who waits on the Lord when there's all this turbulence and chaos around you. You are called to be like Abraham, walk waiting on the Lord. So let's do this. I want you to think, I want you to take the Ishmael test. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. <coughs> Don't close them yet. Don't close them yet. I want you to hold a decision that you've got to make before you, before the Lord. And I'm going to lead you through the four questions. All right? And then, after the four questions, I'm going to put up a verse. It's from Psalm 130. And the verse is, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. And so, first, I'm going to lead you through for about a minute or two. Just, just follow my lead. As you hold this decision, we're going to take the Ishmael test. All right? As you're going to wait on the Lord. And then, I'm gonna, then just follow me. I'm going to invite you to meditate on this verse that David wrote. Uh, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. And I'm going to invite you to wait for the Lord. Not any kind of decision, just for the Lord himself. I'm, I'm just waiting for you, Lord. I love you, and I'm content with you. And in your word, I put my hope. My hope is not in other people. My hope is not in employers. My hope is not in the Federal Reserve or the stock market or the United States. My hope is in you. And I wait for you, not even my decisions at this point, just for you. So we'll get to that, all right? All right, so just let's bow your heads for a moment. And now you've got your decision before the Lord. Now, question one. Are you afraid to ask God what his will is in this situation? So ask him, Lord, I hold this before you. Not my will, but your will 
be done. What is your will, O Lord? Show me. Help me trust and let go, Lord, to follow you. Number two, are you uncomfortable exploring your hidden motivations? What's really going on inside of you about this decision? Name your fears. What are the negative voices screaming at you? Who are the people you're concerned might speak negatively of you if you wait on God and do his will? Invite God, the Holy Spirit, to search your hidden parts. Number three, am I avoiding getting counsel from mature others in case they disagree with me? Who are mature men or women? women? Who are some mature people you could even ask to for counsel, perspective? Have you gone there yet? And then fourthly, say, Lord, right now I just listen for you. I slow down and still listen. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Lord, I wait for you, Lord.